So I'm Jason, senior pastor. <coughs> Excuse me, with my wife Bev. Wonderful to be here with you. Um, and yes, we're starting a new series called Stranger Things. And that's going to be our summer series uh, from me um, and um, the, some of the preaching team. <coughs> um, so uh, if you have a Bible, get yourself ready and turn to Luke 13. And let me pray. So Lord, we pray, Lord, um, <coughs> pray for people on holiday. They'd have a good time. Pray for those of us yet to go on holiday. Pray for those of us who won't get to go on holiday. Pray that this summer that we would find you. We'd find rest in you. Bless us. Keep us safe. And we pray as a church family for all that you have for us as we open up your word through the summer and worship and gather to meet you. Bless us. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So, uh, yes, we're starting a new series. Now, the, obviously, Stranger Things is a play on the TV series, Stranger Things. But we won't be referring to it any more than that. Um, but the background and the premise of it is, there are some strange things in the Bible, aren't there? Anyone read the Bible? And gone, what is that? Um, and what can happen is, we can end up with what's called a, a limited canon. And instead of knowing the whole of scripture, we just stick to the bits that are less strange and are more straightforward. Because some of them really are. You know, the, the, lots of the Bible is incredibly straightforward. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think on this. That doesn't take much to understand what we're being told there. But a floating axe head, pillars of salt, angels on fire... Water coming out of rocks. You know, there's some stuff in the Bible that we can go, what is that? Uh, and you see, one of the things to understand, another premise for this series is, is this. Um, is to, it's an opportunity to get a grasp on the Bible and really get into it. I think a lot of us know it's important, but still don't know how to access it. And it is 66 books, not one book. And it's history and poetry and gospels and lament and prophecy. And we have to approach it on its own terms, in, in, in its own time. And that's one of the invitations for this series and encourage you. If you find this series really helpful, and even if you're away, get the podcast. Download it and listen to it. Because in some ways, some of the strangest things in the Bible help us to grasp the rest of the Bible. Did you hear that? Often we think the strange things put us off the Bible or put our friends off of it. But if we embrace the stranger things, actually it can do the opposite. It can bring us into a full understanding, a fuller understanding of God's word. So I'm, I'm beginning this series today and I'm going to start with a story from Jesus. And in this passage there are blood sacrifices, um, there are fig trees... And there are falling towers. Okay? Um, so I'm starting there with just this strange... It's like Jesus has read the news. And everyone's talking about what's... You know, our news is weird, isn't it? This was Jesus. The headlines. Pilate mixes blood sacrifices. Tower kills 18 people. We come live from Jerusalem. Yeah? It's all... It's just people are people. 
And in the midst of this, Jesus has an amazing response and something to show us. And and we're going to dig into some of the strangeness of these stories to discover something very, very profound. And, And if you take away one thing today, it will be this. I'm convinced, having preached for 25 years in the life of this church, that this one thing is the thing. Uh, John Wimber, our founder, used to say, the way in is the way on. It's a lovely phrase. However you come into Christianity is the way that you go on with it. If your route into Christianity is God's a slot machine to get me things that I want, then often that's how we carry on treating him. But in this passage, we're going to see, Jesus says there is one thing, and if you do this one thing all the time, every time, you will never come to the end of God's work in your life. Would you like that one thing? Wow. Let's see. So, if, again, let's read from, I'm going to read, Luke 13. I think it might appear up on the screen. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told them a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So what I want to do is do five things with you now. The first one is to take these blood sacrifices, towers and fig trees, some of the strangeness, and look at that strangeness. But then from that, look at the strangest thing of all in this passage that we might not immediately see, but it is the strangest. And then three things about that strange thing. Is that all right? I said the word strange now so many times, it's getting strange, isn't it? Yeah? There is a, there is a, there is a, a thing that happens to our brains. If you say a word enough, it loses the ability to associate the meaning of the word with the word. Have you ever done that? Try saying the word helicopter a hundred times, and in the end, it just sounds like nonsense. The more we say a word, the more... Anyway, forget that. Um... Actually, a couple of other passages. Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Acts 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, blood sacrifices by Pilate. Now, um, for blood sacrifices and Galileans, what is almost certainly gone on here is, is that some Jews have gone to the temple for Passover and it's the only time you would do your own sacrifice. Bring your own lamb, basically, and kill it. That was normal. And whilst these people are doing one of the most intimate acts of worship in the calendar, some Romans come in and they kill them, and their blood is mixed with the blood of the lambs of the sacrifice. Have you got it? Now, if you try to get near something like that in the modern day, some of us, if we've got some sensitivity and would understand 
that to cut off a pig's head and put it in the center of a mosque would be one of the most awful things to do to, a, to an Islamic community. Um, I grew up next to a mosque. And some of the people who decided they didn't want a mosque there did exactly that. And couldn't, well, why is that such a big deal? It's just a pig's head. No, it's not. Think about the most precious place in your home. Anyone here been burgled? People who have been burgled tell me they feel violated. Someone's come into somewhere that's precious, desecrated it. That's the sort of thing. And the other way to get is this, and what's at stake here is this issue. Why do bad things happen to good people? You don't get worse than someone who is dutifully worshipping God in the most intimate moment of the year who is murdered. Imagine a Christmas service or an Easter service. Or in fact, imagine a baptism where someone has just said, Jesus is my life, and someone comes and cuts their throat in the baptismal pool. Wouldn't that be horrific? Do we get near the, the people were talking about this? Another thing is, there's this about this happening to Galileans. It's a bit like, well, they're northerners. You know, if you're a southerner, that sort of derogatory. Some people, you, do you know how people work? What's at stake here is how human beings understand bad things happening to them. And, and, think, and, and at stake here is this issue that God does things to certain people. And some people deserve things more than others. Those Galileans. So that's that one. And Jesus, in verse 2, hits this. And he says, no. And the Pharisees, who the Sadducees are really in the background here in the gospel stories. They're, it's the Pharisees who are front and center interpreting what God is doing and doing with God's people at this point in history. And the Pharisees were, were, were convinced, if calamity happens to you, it's because you deserve it. That's how it worked at this point and this time. Some of you may have grown up in a church tradition where that was repeated. Bad things happen to bad people. Well, verse 4, and then Jesus, Jesus is just this wonderful interlocutor with people. And they're going, they're reaching for something from the news. It gives us a little insight into what, again, do you remember John that we did a little while ago? John says, if we wrote down everything about Jesus, it would fill every book in the world. Jesus is wandering around for three to four years and everyone is talking about politics and the news and what's happened. And this is a little snapshot of one of those moments. And Jesus is like, I'll take your story of the Galileans and Pilate. What about the Tower of Siloam? And everyone would have gone, oh my goodness, did you see that? Did you see those Instagram photos? Did you see the TikTok? I don't know. I don't know much about TikTok. I probably just used it completely wrongly. I didn't. Okay. It, it would have been on everyone's mind. There's a level of detail here. Jesus says the 18 people who died. And the Tower of Siloam was obviously commentators can't find out what it was or at the time because we don't have news records like we do now but it was obviously significant enough that everybody would have known it and they would have been thinking how could that happen to God's people why has this awful thing happened to these people and, and Jesus says is that what you think do you think that this happened to people in worship because they were bad no what about the Tower of Siloam everyone's going yeah that didn't happen to them because they were bad people. There's something else going on here in the world that you need to understand. 
And Jesus moves on from that, and he, and he confronts this idea that calamity is punishment for sin. And then he tells a parable. Jesus does this so often. He doesn't give them a black and white answer. He tells them a story to make them go, what's that? A fig tree. Now, do you know what the fig tree was a symbol of in, at Jesus' time? The fig tree was a symbol of God's people. And it wasn't unusual to plant a fig tree in a vineyard. The fig tree is God's people. Um, in the story, there are two people. There is the man who wants to cut the fig tree down. Yeah? That's God. Who's the caretaker? We're not many people left to guess. Somebody going, Jesus. You don't want to get it wrong, Faith, do you? Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. You're always okay with Jesus. <laughs> Even if it's not Jesus, you can say Jesus. Yeah? We all know that. Jesus. Jesus is the caretaker. And, there's, and it's supposed to bear fruit. And we, in this story, we are the fig tree. So are you all with me here with these strange things? Here's where we need to, I want to pull this through with you. To move into the rest of the story and understand it, we need to know that. What's at stake is, why do bad things happen to people, including me? And Jesus is saying, if you want to understand how this really works, this parable is it. You are a tree that God plants, that he has the right to cut down. And Jesus says, I want to do everything I can so that you bear fruit. That's how we're going to do this. Right? That's the first bit. Strange thing. Second thing. But there is something very, 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 very strange in the middle of this for our world and our culture. And it's repentance. You've probably already figured that one out. There's one word that crops up in all those passages and this one again and again and again and again. Jesus begins his ministry. Repent. By the way, we were looking in the prayer meeting this morning, and if you don't know about it, we have a wonderful time, Sunday mornings, 9.45, down the corridor. And where we read from Mark, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there's actually half a sentence that I missed out that we read, and it's that John the Baptist was put into prison. Any of you remember who John the Baptist was? What was his relationship to Jesus? His cousin. His cousin. And his cousin, who he loved dearly, Jesus' response to one of the great heroes of the Christian faith who made the way for Jesus and baptized Jesus, who Jesus loved more than anything, is put into prison. And Jesus' response is to go and plead for his release, to start a social media campaign, to protest, to say to God, why is this happening? No, what does Jesus do? He goes out and says, the response is, this is it. Jesus gets it. This is it, Father. This is the moment. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The triggering of Jesus' ministry is in the midst of these awful things. Repent. Repent. It's not what we would probably reach for, would we? How many of us, when we're sitting around the table, talking to friends, or probably this week, getting water out of something to try and stay hydrated, Yeah? talking about life how many people's first response to the calamities of life is to go well we just need to repent did that word come out of your mouth this week or anybody's probably not but it's where Jesus begins this is the strangest thing of all 
God's relationship with us, Jesus is very clear, is not that we are sinners that he is desperate to smite. Have you still got that? The danger is that the common understanding of repentance and God is the pharisaical one. And Jesus is very clear, no. God does not want to smite you because he hates you and he's angry. And Jesus comes along and he's, God goes, oh, okay, you just stop me. That Brian Durrant, I've been looking forward to doing him in. I always pick on Brian, he's right in front of me. Because some of you would understand if it was Brian, wouldn't you? No, you would think. Okay. <laughs> some of us do that though, don't we? If we're honest. You see, this, our misunderstanding of repentance, sometimes there's a little frisson inside of us when something bad happens to someone and it taps into something that is fundamentally broken in all human beings. Well, maybe they deserved it. I'm glad it wasn't me. Oh gosh, better keep my head down. If that happened to them, I hope God's not gonna get me. You ever had that one? If that happens to them, what about me? Jesus is like, that is not how this works. But he does focus on repentance. And here is the most audacious thing of all. If, if I could have you take away one thing from this passage, one thing from this talk, and it's the one thing for me, it's this. This is the most audacious claim of all that Jesus is making here. Your life is not yours. Some other passages of scripture. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Repentance is the recognition that God made me. That I am his that he can do what he wants with me, that he can have me live a long life or a short life, that he can have everything go well or everything go wrong, that I am his. John Mumford, who was National Director of Vineyard Churches, used to use a phrase all the time when we were back with him. He said, I'm changing God's pocket. He can spend me on what he wants. This is the sheer audacity. And in our world today, where the message is, it's your life, you do what you want with it and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. And Jesus says, that is what's wrong with our world. That's why our world is on fire and in chaos. Human beings who have said, God, no, you're not God. I am. And there's also a lie within that that some of us think, if I just, the enemy is very good at this. A lot of us think that it doesn't apply to us. We might understand this idea. You've been a Christian long enough, you might do. But the lie from the enemy is, well, that applies to other people. Just go to work, keep your head down, mind your own business, let God leave you alone. It's one of the greatest lies that the enemy has done to Christians. That God does not see us or assess who we are before him. I'm glad some of you are nodding. My life isn't mine. And more than this, my life is not mine. My life was made to bear fruit that God made me for. And that I am meant to seek that as the meaning of my life. Did you hear that? My life is not mine. God made me for a purpose. I am supposed to spend my life finding out what that purpose is and giving my life back to him. And then I will have the best life I could ever have. And I'll have God at work in my life more than anything. And that is worth everything. 
going to use a friend as an example, pastoring him, talking to him, um, chatting away to him online this week. And he's going through a very challenging time at the moment, thinking he's doing something that God called him to, and he's like, but it's been awful. And then he's got family members around him who ring him up and go, oh, I just sold my house for a million pounds, the extra house I had. Don't know what to do with the money. And he's like, and, and that starts to do something to him. Have I? That could have been me. Some of you are nodding. You know that, don't you, with people around you. And he's a really good friend, and we're finding Jesus together. And I said to him, if right now you could have everything that family member has but lose what God has been doing in your life these last few years, would you trade it? And he went, no. I went, there you go. And then suddenly it was like, oh yeah. Yeah, Lord. Nothing. Nothing is worth what you're doing in my life. See, that's repentance right there. In an instant. A thought from, I've missed out. Oh, I wish. Oh, to, of course, Jesus is everything. This audacity that God might judge us. And, and God does judge us. He assesses us. We haven't got time this morning for all the Bible passages that talk about at the end of time when Christ returns, God is going to look at us. Jesus tells another parable about, the, about you know, where he goes, well done my good and faithful servant. We're going to stand before God and give an account of how we've lived. And if it's, I'm really sorry I was so busy doing all this other stuff, there are eternal consequences to that. We will miss out on things in eternity. You know the idea, and it is hardwired into our Western consumer culture, that I can wait till tomorrow, keep putting things off, putting things off. And eventually when we die, if you haven't dealt with who Jesus is, you can't put that off as much as you want. And in eternity, there are eternal consequences. Jesus says, God will say to some, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and enjoy this for eternity. Do you know the James Webb telescope? Have you seen that on the news? Phenomenal. I love, I was really into astronomy as a kid. Put a telescope up at the sky, out, out somewhere far in space, zooming into part of the unknown universe, looking at something the size of a grain of sand, and there are billions of galaxies in just that one bit. Our God made that. And our God intended us from the Garden of Eden to partner with him in creation, not to escape creation but to participate with him and there is an eternal reward for us if life is hard and difficult one of the things that God's people and Christians have held on to is that in Christ and in eternity one day God may say Jason you know that first thing that the James Webb telescope looked at enter into your rest it's yours that's what's at stake but the lie is we don't believe that we believe that the only thing that's at stake is what I have in this life now. And that's what's at the root of. Why did people die under a tower? Why were they murdered in worship? Christians, Christians through history, have any of you read the New Testament and noticed what happened to some Christians in worship? What happened to them in their worship? They were put to death. And the early church never went, this is horrendous, God's left us. They went, wow. A life lived for Jesus, eternally rewarded. God judges us, 
and measures us. And Jesus fully supports this. Did you see the fig tree? Jesus doesn't say to God, I know it hasn't borne any fruit yet. Could we just leave it there until the end of time? What does Jesus say? Give me one year. This is a message. Jesus is here. He's talking to people. He's saying to the the people of God, you really are not bearing fruit. And I'm not going to be around long. Father, give me one year. I will do everything that I can. And even then, there's so much imagery here. How does Jesus fertilize, literally, how does Jesus fertilize the soil of our lives? He buries himself in it. That's how invested Jesus is in our lives. He goes into the soil and dies with his blood and sweat and tears and his family and his ambitions and his work and everything that he is. And he gives it up to fertilize the soil around us. And Jesus says, and if that still doesn't result in fruit, then what does Jesus say? Cut it down. That should wake us up. It should make us think, I can't leave what God wants to do in my life, in the hope that one day it all works out. Jesus didn't do that, otherwise he wouldn't have come. Repent. God, again, compare that to the story of life that's out there. A good life is, what's a good life for most people? To live long, retire early, to be well, to have a family that love you and aren't a nightmare. Now, if we get that, thank God. But that's not the purpose of life. It is to love God and bear fruit for him that will last. Here's a diagnostic. You know I like that word. When a diagnostic is how you test something, when calamity strikes you, anyone had anything calamitous happen at all in the last week, the last month, the last year? If you haven't had anything calamitous happen in your life, it will. And when it does, what comes out of your mouth? What are the feelings that erupt? What's the measure when you talk to friends and family and try to make sense have any of you been through something so awful, you're thinking, how do, I under, how do I make sense of this? Why is this happening? Why now? And whatever we reach for reveals how we're planted and what God's already been doing in our lives. It's a great revealer. So, Jesus tells us, and he doesn't leave us hanging with this story, He says, if you get all of that, and if you want to explore that, a whole load of you have been nodding your heads. If you want to find out what God has in your life, and you want to be rooted in him and bear fruit, so that the king of eternity will look at you one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want that, Jesus says, here's how it works. It is really straightforward. It is not difficult. It is not complicated. Even children can do this. It is repentance. Repent. So you ready for that to finish? Three things about repentance we're going to look at that Jesus shows us. Repentance is continual. It's not a one-off thing. It's a way of living before God. You know, like my friend who says, oh, I'm really, oh, my friend. And I draw his attention back and I go, yeah, but would you, would you give up everything God's doing in your life for that? In a moment, he repented. He didn't say I repent, but he did. His thoughts snapped back in front of me and he went, oh. 
I wouldn't give up anything for Jesus. You see, that's repentance. That should be a normal way of life. We're going to look at, so to finish, repentance is continual. There's a the bit more about the nature of repentance and then how we practice it, how you do it. Right? That's what we'll do to finish. So Jesus tells us repentance is everything. It's the grid to measure everything. And again, if I, I was trying to find the words to express this this morning. For Jesus, in all of his teaching, I think Jesus is saying this about repentance. There is, if you said, Jesus, what is the greatest thing I can do to reveal the greatness of God in my life that would be the greatest thing I could ever do that you would look at and you would say, Jason, that is the greatest thing that you ever did and you ever were? He would say, repentance. Not what I achieved, not how much money I made, not where I lived, not how big our church was, not how clever I was, not how fat or slim I was. He would say, it's repentance. It's the only thing he measures. So, continual repentance. So we know the truth is, and there's lots in scripture we don't have time today, there is lots, the Psalms are amazing, that, that, that wrestle with this, why do bad things happen to really good people? Have any of you noticed that? Psalm 73 is one of my favorite Psalms. The, the beginning of the Psalm in Psalm 73, the Psalmist says, I've been trusting you, and yet all these awful things have happened, and there's a whole lot of people that mock you, and yet they seem to be being blessed. But then the psalmist, when they come into God's presence, say, but when I entered your presence, I realized my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. It's a beautiful psalm to read where the, this, the psalmist, before God, works through all of this and repents and goes, but God, if I've got you, and these people don't, why would I swap that? So, See if you can follow this for me. When bad things, this is what Jesus is saying, when something bad happens in your life, repent. Not because you're a bad person, but turn to God. You know, like, hold on to that story of my friend struggling in a job that he hates, that he thought God told him to do. And the response is, repent. Oh Lord, what is it about me what is it about? What, this is really hard. Are you with me on this? I really need you to hang on to this and not hear the things that our world programs us for and the enemy does. That you are not a bad person who deserves this. But when bad things happen, there is the gift of repentance. Oh Lord, what is it that you want me to turn from in this moment to find you? It's really hard, isn't it? Now if that's hard... Here's where repentance begins. It begins when things are going really, really well. How many of us turn to God when things are going really well? You know the old adage, don't you? I've heard, I've been a Christian long enough. In fact, when I became a Christian, <clears throat> and when I was 16 turning 17, it didn't take long before I heard stories in church about people saying, my life was going so well, I hardly ever thought about God until. When things go well, we can often not think about God at all. 
the, the message of scripture again and again and again is this. The time to practice repentance is not when you're desperate and calamity has happened. The time for repentance is when things are going well. Romans 2 verse 4. I think it might appear on the screen. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. And the longer bit about this passage, some of us, again, we're hardwired. Repentance is something bad's happened, I've been a bad person, they've been a bad person. No, repentance begins with the good. Mark 14, sorry, Mark 1 verse 15, continual repentance, Jesus said. So, here's a question, are you happy? Are you happy? Anybody here would admit to being happy this morning when they turned up? Was there anyone? Do I get a witness to happiness here in the room? Yes. Repent. Anyone this morning turning up? A bit sad. Not happy. Anybody would admit to bringing some sadness in with them? Anybody bringing some confusion with them? Anyone bringing some loss with them? Anyone had some amazing things happen this week? Whatever has happened to you, the same thing applies to all of us. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And isn't this bizarre? You imagine walking down the high street and finding someone and saying, I just heard this guy and he's telling me that when really good things are happening or bad things, I'm supposed to repent. Does it sound nuts? Because it is nuts. Because it's what we don't do. And it's what God's people have often rarely done. And Jesus says it's the most amazing thing. So, repent continually. Oh, gosh. Nearly fell over. Um, A bit more about the nature of repentance and then how we do it. Again, here's a hard one. Back to the Tower of Siloam. Scripture tells us in so many ways that we all deserve a tower to fall on us. I'll let that sink in. We all deserve a tower to fall on us. One of the ways to reframe suffering and calamity, and it's hard, I've had a lot in my life. I just want to interject that here because right now some of you is palpating that. You're like, you have no idea what I went through the others. No, I don't. But I know both my parents killed themselves and blame me for that. I'm not saying that to trump anything in your life, but I've got to measure this in my own life. We all deserve a tower to fall on us. And we could turn things around. Often we'll say, I find it hard to believe in God because there's so much suffering in the world. Have you ever felt that? It is sometimes, isn't it? So much suffering. And also in your own life. But actually... We could turn things around. Scripture shows us this. We could say the opposite. We could say, given the way that human beings behave, isn't it amazing that there is not more calamity in my life? Isn't it amazing that I can ignore God for decades and he doesn't smite me? How many of you have got friends who've ignored God for decades and he hasn't destroyed them yet? Because he's kind and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. Do you see how we can change things? Jesus is saying, a tower.
Are we? Oh, we're back. There we go. <laughs> go over there. And this is a hard thing. Because you see, if, that, if, if saying this, and this would have happened when Jesus said this, and I'm, I'm trying as best as I can to repeat what What's happened? Oh, thank you. Is, is this going to carry on? Do I need to switch to another mic? Something else. <laughs> Stranger things. Where was I? If that is provoking a response in you, then as painful as that is, then good. Because that's where Jesus wants to capture our attention. What do you mean if things are going well, I'm supposed to repent? What do you mean if something bad has happened, I'm supposed to repent? Because Jesus says, because these are the moments when you are at the doorway and the threshold of the kingdom of God. We all deserve a tower to fall on us, even the kindest, nicest of us are ultimately self-centered and sinful, left to our own devices, where we do not live as if God made us. And Jesus is desperate to save us from ourselves and us not to be the fig tree that is cut down. How many of you know somebody really, 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 really nice and kind? I know a lot of people really nice and kind. But they're just as much of a sinner as you are. And, and the most wonderful Christians I know who are really, really kind and nice know that they're sinners. They know that their heart's deceitful above everything. They know that when good things are happening in their lives, they can very easily organize all of their lives very nicely and kindly around them and their choices. And never consult God once or just ask for his blessing. So here's the diagnostic, we're near the end. How much do you and I live with a sense of God owning our lives? How much? As I'm preaching, I rely on the Holy Spirit to hopefully speak to me and lead me and sometimes things come to mind that aren't on the paper. Brian's sitting right in front of me. I remember Brian telling a story about being on his theology course and a wonderful young woman with cancer who's now gone to be with the Lord, hasn't she, Brian? And a wonderful story that I remember of her loving Jesus and determined that with everything that was in her life, she would serve him. And as far as I know, she did that to the end, didn't she, Brian? Think how much less that young woman would have been if she had railed against God in anger and gone to her grave with bitterness. But instead, she went into eternity with Jesus. Do we believe this? This is why repentance is what this is about. Without repentance, all we have left is God does bad things to bad people and all we're left with, if I'm good, I deserve a good life. That's all we've got left. And that is what's fundamentally wrong with life. 
Every breath I have is a gift from God. Bev and I have reached an age where we watch friends' lives blow up. A really good friend of ours died very suddenly this year. Left her husband, my age. And she loved Jesus to the end. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Just means she wasn't any less. So lastly... How do we practice this continual repentance? Well, when things are going well, do we thank God? That's a start. When things are going well, do we repent? Lord, I'm making my plans here. I don't think I've consulted you once. Ever done that? Lord, I've got this opportunity. Lord, this is happening. I realize I've not once said, what do you want me to do? Oh, the number of times if we were to say to God, God, I've got this great plan for my life. What do you think? And he'll go, yeah, no. Yeah, but Lord, I want you to do that. Yeah, I know you want me to give you that. But do you want to know your meaning and your purpose? Do you want to be a fig tree planted in the soil of the death and resurrection of Jesus so that the forces that made the galaxy when I spoke it into being rush into your life and bring life to you, to your family, to the world around you. Do you want that? Then repent. Let go of it. See what I do. Lord, I'm yours. Do what you want in me. I repent. I repent in the good and I repent in the bad. And brothers and sisters, here's another one of those bits where I pause and I say, why repenting in the good times is really, really, really important. Because if we practice repenting in the good times, when calamity strikes, we are ready to repent again. It's so hard to repent when life is painful if we've never repented when it wasn't painful. Instead, our reflex can be just anger and frustration and judgment and why me? But repenting in the good prepares us for repentance in the bad. So this warning from Jesus about the fig tree, that it deserves to be cut down, give me one year, there is something very encouraging in this. And it's this. You know we procrastinate, we put things off. Someone prayed a wonderful prayer in the prayer meeting this morning. And it was along the lines of, Lord, I'm really sorry that I keep putting off all the things I could be and should do with you. Help me to stop doing that. So in this story, we're told that judgment, even Jesus says at some point judgment will come to us. Assessment of who we are and what we've done. But the good news in the story is you can have put off this fig tree. By the way, I need to say this because it's in all the commentaries. Sometimes numbers in scripture are mean more than just the number. Three did not mean just three years. Three was, a, three was a certain number that when Jewish people heard it used, you know, like we know, what's an unlucky number? So we've got, a, we've got a vestige of that with numbers, but certainly in Jesus' time, numbers were significant. What's the number of perfection in scripture? Seven. What's the demonic number? 666. Three did not mean exact, it could mean three years, but it meant a long period of time where something that shouldn't be happening was happening. It was a number that was used. How long has Beverly been ignoring what God's doing in her life? Oh, three years. Could be literally three years, but quite some time. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying, Father, 
It doesn't matter if Fred, Joe, Mary have ignored you for all of their lives. Give me one year with them. Let me plant my life in the soil of their lives and see what you might do. Which is why we can turn to God. I've got a friend whose father turned to him very late in life and now wishes he turned to God when he was a younger man. But what, oh, what God has done in that man's life in his 70s. You're never too old to be a fig tree bearing fruit for the kingdom. Never too old. So <laughs> let me land on this. What's at stake is God's ownership and his work in our life. If we find ourselves saying, it's the summer, a bit busy at the minute, I'll get round to what God's doing in my life later. Do we see the sheer insanity of saying that? As far as Jesus is concerned, why would you wait? Again and again in the scripture, we see Jesus go to people, repent, come and follow me. I need, no, I need to go and, I mean, I haven't even got time, that whole passage, where someone says, I need to go back and bury my father. As, as if his father was already dead and he happened to be at Blue Water shopping. Oh yeah, I've forgotten, I need to go and bury my dad. The excuses that we make, that's one of the passages. Let me say goodbye to my friends. In that story, I'll share it with you, what's happened is someone is far away, there's no telegrams, there's no internet and email. The father is probably not dead at all, but is elderly. The, basically the guy saying, I need to wait till my elderly father who might die at some point dies, then I can come and follow you, Jesus. The other person that says, can I say goodbye to my family? Well, you've already said goodbye because in the story where Jesus is speaking, the people he's speaking to are several weeks away from people they've already said goodbye to. Jesus calls out the inanity of our stupid things that we say. Maybe later. It's insane. The creator of the universe who made the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the galaxies that we see is ready. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know what repentance is? Some of you know what the Greek word is? Can we have the worship team come back? There they are. The Greek word for repentance is, I haven't used it yet, is, is metanoia. And have you heard of that? It means lots of things. Some of the things it means is to turn around and go the other way. It also means, oh, it means to change your mind and way of thinking. So you see, some of the ways that we repent is by stopping a direction that we're moving in. Another way we repent is to go, Lord, I'm sorry that I don't repent in the good times. I'm sorry that I wait for the bad times. That's the change of mind. So let's stand and pray and have the worship team lead us. Oh Lord, this is, a, this is not just a strange thing, it's the hardest of things. But Lord, on the other side of this is everything that we want. It's meaning and purpose and understanding and your presence and your work in our lives. So Lord, as we worship, soften our hearts, quieten our thoughts, come upon us, Holy Spirit, and lead us into the experience of continual repentance and your kingdom. Amen.